everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the seventh episode of Riverdale Season 5, Fire in the Sky. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, who I would love, even if she was revealed to be a Mothman, Kirsten McInnes. Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'd be doing better if my face was on some money, probably, but, you know, can't complain. <laughs> Why was it red? There's oh, so many issues with the fake money. <laughs> it's fine. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to, to it. it. We'll get to it. We are feeling tired tonight, so we're just going to roll through this episode. So no preamble. We're going to jump right in. It's the Kowski cast speed run, and if you have a problem with that, I'm really sorry, but we'll make it up to you next week. But you shouldn't, because the thing about shorter episodes is then they usually get edited faster and released quicker, so it's good times. <laughs> <laughs> what you can't see is Mary just did a very awkward thumbs up. All right, Jughead voiceover. Okay. Portrait of a town in flames. Thanks to a fire extinguisher Mr. Anders kept in the hall closet and another one under the kitchen sink, what could have been a suburban inferno was instead merely the latest indication of how far the non-existent town of Riverdale had fallen, an arsonist on the loose, and no firemen to battle the fires. By the way, quick thing. Yeah. Two fire extinguishers? Oh, you yeah, know, that was my exact thing that I had. There is no way that two fire extinguishers put out that fire. That was a blazing inferno with two ignition points on the house. There is no way, no way that two fire extinguishers would do that. But why do they have two fire extinguishers? Who has two fire extinguishers in their house? I mean, I think it's smart to have multiple fire extinguishers. I have no, none. it's very smart, but like, I don't even know if I have one. I think I have one. I have none, but also when they like taught us how to use fire extinguishers when I was an RA, I was really bad at it. So I think if I had a fire extinguisher, it wouldn't do anything anyway. There is one in the hall in my building. Oh, there's probably one in the hall somewhere. Which wouldn't be useful if my door caught on fire because that's the one point of exit from my house. You only have one point of exit? I mean, technically we have a window, but I don't know if I could like smash it. I don't know if it opens. I should probably oh figure it out. Oh my god, Mary. Mm, I'll look into it. But I'm impressed, although part of me did think, haha, what if Archie had put the fire extinguisher in the time capsule instead of the hammer? Just because it's like a Fred Andrews thing. I and mean, it makes just as much sense as that. No, because it's not like Fred Andrews owned a fire extinguisher company. Yeah, well, it turns out that his grandfather was like in the fire department, so. Well, I'm surprised we didn't get like an ancient fire extinguisher from the time capsule from Archie's ancestors. Because <sighs> they only have ancient things. Okay, let's talk about the Archie fire department segment now that we're on this anyway, and plus it's Archie's plot, so we got to talk about it first. Ugh. Archie's grandfather was a firefighter, and it's like Archie has a lot of time on his hands, I guess. I mean, I think that like the undercurrent here, which they kind of mentioned at the very end of the episode, is like he's trying to keep himself distracted and busy and doesn't want any downtime. Yeah, I just, ugh, I was just so sick of Archie. Like, I just, I, I hated this. I hated everything about this. I'm sorry. You know, you say that, but I have to like, when just thinking about Archie and thinking about all the plots that he's personally gone through, this to me is better than Archie being in jail. It's better than Archie being on the run. It's better than Archie opening a community center. It's better than Archie working for Hiram, and it's better than Archie hooking up with his music teacher. So I'm actually like, it's probably the highest 
stepped yeah. in on Archie. Guess what? The bar is underground for him. He's like, not punching. I mean, it's better. Yeah, but like, that this doesn't might... mean it's good. I didn't say it was good, but I'm just saying, like, considering all the other Archie, like, we know there's going to be Archie. We can't, we have to just accept that. Mm-mm. So. I'll never accept that. Anyway, so I love that, like, three episodes ago, they were like, yeah, there's no fire department. And all of a sudden now they're like, wait a second, there's no fire department. Yeah, I know. We are, we already established well, it's, it's that. It's like, they're shocked there's no fire department. Well, no, it's okay. They established that there's no fire department and it's like, okay, this is the deal. But then now they've established that there's also like rampant arson in Riverdale. So it's like really bad that there's no fire department. And we also find out that the previous fire department was like exploded with arson. Yeah, it was like firebombed itself, which you would think they should ha- have water. Hey, I don't but know. if they're not ready to leave or if something happened to their like fire truck, I mean, I don't understand why the gym that Archie owns is still standing. Like, yeah, it was kind of run down. He had to clean it up real quick. But like, why didn't Hiram just firebomb that place? Nobody was there. Nobody would have fixed it. Well, because that wouldn't work for the purposes of this plot. All right, whatever. So (laughs) I do love that Jughead is like, oh, wait, you're going to be like a real person and like just just like open a fire department, not like uh, try to go mano a mano with Hiram Lodge. And Archie's like, yeah, I'm above that. Okay, like, okay, Archie, now you're above that. Yeah. And so this, okay, this was my favorite part. So he has the picture of, like, the, I don't know, original fire department or whatever. And there's, like, this one, like, younger recruit that's in the picture. And it's, like, this man was the chief of the the fire department. And now I'm going to ask them to come out of retirement to do this. And it's, like, what? But also this man did not look old enough to, like, be that boy, Based on how old that picture was. Well, if his if that was a picture taken when his grandfather was, let's say, 30, because he was established in the fire department, he was not a recruit. So he's like 30, and now his grandfather is dead. But if he was alive, would have been 70, 75, 80, somewhere in that vicinity. So this guy could be like 10 years younger than that. But he doesn't he didn't look that old. Yeah, he he looked he looked max 60. Max. Truly, if you told me he was 60, I still be like, ugh. I don't know. Like, I think yeah. that man looked 55. There's a couple age things in this episode that kind of don't make any sense. But yeah, so anyway, it's also like, how about don't ask a person who's retired to come out of retirement? That's kind of mean. Well, but I mean, if that's the only experienced fire chief. Can you like Google how to be a fire chief? Yeah, you can Google everything. I don't know. So Veronica and Archie are going to chat about how like, because she went and spoke to Hiram and didn't really get any help there. And so she's like, wait a second, hold on, convenient plot. There's this guy who's Katie Keene's roommate, George, his ex-boyfriend, who's a New York City firefighter. I'm like, you really had to link Katie Keene in? Why couldn't she have just been like, there's this guy I knew in New York? That would have made it so much simpler. Like, why are we, and then for anyone who watched Katie Keene, they they could be like, oh, it's the guy from Katie Keene. But if you didn't, you don't need to suffer through the whole, it's my friend's cousin's boyfriend's ex-removed partner. Well, yeah, because it's like really weird because obviously it's not that character that would be coming back who is like a very fun character that people know. So I, it's not even a, oh, is a it character not? that I was... Didn't, I didn't look it up. It's not like, the same actor. I'm pretty sure it's not. Who... I don't remember this man. His name is Bernardo Bixby. Bernardo Bixby. Let me see if he is seen oh. in Katie Keene at all. He definitely is in Katie Keene. Oh, yes. Here's him and George. Oh, is George the one who works at the... um? 
at the drag club? Or no? Yeah, George is the drag queen. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Ginger is their drag name. Ginger. Fun. Okay, and that's Katie Keene's roommate. Roommate. So this does appear to be the same character. Is it the same actor? Looks like it. I only, I didn't watch enough Katie Keene, obviously. Interesting. Okay, so it does appear to be the same actor, but it's not like, I just think that they they could be more subtle. They could be like, hey, if you knew Katie Keene, you'll know this guy. Oh, I like just, I I stopped watching like just after this man was introduced to the show. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so, okay. Basically, this guy is a New York City fire firefighter and he's going to show up and a like teach them firefighter. how to fire Oh yeah. No, he, he could be on a calendar for sure. So they move the firefighting operation to Archie's gym and this is when Jackson is going to show up, who I'm actually kind of glad that this paid off because I feel like in the first episode of the time jump, we were like, why are we spending so much time with Jackson? This guy has to come back. Makes Does make me wonder who else we're going to see come back because so far we've had Veronica's husband and Jackson and I wonder if we're going to get either Jughead's hey, ex-girlfriend. we got Glenn over the phone right, this week. Right, we got week. Glenn over the phone so I think that does count and I wonder if we're going to see Glenn in a bigger presence or not but I wonder if we're also going to see either Jughead's ex-girlfriend or the girl who like wanted him to read her book or whatever. Oh yeah, I think she'll be back. I think so too. So Jackson comes back and I, I really got upset initially thinking like they're going to make him turn into, you know, a mercenary type character like Archie's uncle was. Like that's like where I, I saw this going to a dark place and I think by the end of the episode I'm glad that they kind of pivoted where it went because I think it could have, they could have gone down a particular path that I'm glad I, they didn't. I feel like um, Riverdale this week took a very firm like anti-military stance which really? I was not expecting. Like, I felt they, like it took a very pro-military stance. It, no, it took a, a very pro-veteran stance and like treating our veterans well when they come home but like a very anti-military stance is what I got from it and I was actually really surprised at that um, but I didn't hate it. Interesting. I think we interpreted differently. Like I ter- interpreted as a very like we need to respect the vets and also appreciate what's happening whether it be overseas or wherever because I don't know it, it took a very like anti-capitalism stance in respect to the military. I don't know it was it was kind of weird. Yeah like to me it basically was like uh we got the 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 like very strong stance of when we send people in the military overseas they are basically being treated as pawns in a larger scheme where you know very wealthy corporations and people make a lot of the decisions as to why those deployments happen and then when they get home they don't have the resources or care that they need and I I just thought that that was a much more nuanced uh, stance than what I would have expected from Riverdale. Yeah and I mean since we're talking about it now jumping to the end Jackson is going to express basically everything you just said and he is going to be what seems to be very close if Archie had not come home to attacking Hiram Lodge based on those factors and he's saying like I came back. I need a lifeline. I'm not being, you know. Well, because he was also, like, the whole thing is that he was visiting Archie for a couple of days, but then he was supposed to go to transitional housing to help Mm -hmm. him with that change from being in the military to being a civilian. And he lost his place because there wasn't enough resources put into this program to help everyone who's coming back from this war that they are fighting in Riverdale, like, in this universe. And so that's, like, some just another example of like a veteran not being taken care of. And what's really interesting about this to me is we saw Archie join the military like at high school graduation. Like
Like, they're actively recruiting, like, teenagers to go fight in wars, which they obviously don't understand the full scope of what they're going to do, most likely, at that point in time, if they're leaving, like, two days after graduation. Uh, and then it, it kind of shows the full cycle of, like, people were put into this situation that they didn't fully understand. They've been through really traumatic experiences, and then when they come home, they don't have the support or resources that they need or that you would expect, which, like, a lot of that is very true to real life. Like, not for everyone's situation who joins the military, but for a lot of people, that kind of stuff is true. And it's just, uh, I thought it was, like, actually a really complicated uh, way to show that, and I I think it was good. Yeah, no, I think it was good, too. I think that I was, I was really afraid in a worse show and possibly, like, Riverdale, based on what it's done in the past with some heavy material, made me think, oh, they're just going to play into the he needs support, but he's not going to get it, and therefore he's going to, you know, be be overcome by, uh, you know, these struggles that he's going through. And I'm really glad that at least by the end of this episode, it seems like Archie and him sort of could lean on each other and help each other through this. So I was glad that they didn't go in the direction that I thought they were. That was good. Basically, like, this whole thing, it, Archie's whole plotline is about getting this fire uh, station set up. And so he's talking to, uh, he's teaching the ROTC and Jackson is there. And uh, Jackson brings up, oh, well, like, we're, Archie's trying to get a fire department up and running and all of the kids are like, can we help? Archie's like, no, you have ROTC and football. Does not bring up school, for the record. And then the kids are like, but Archie, so do you. And so then he's like, okay, well, as long as you're 16 and your parents sign off, you can become a, a volunteer firefighter. Which I did know people in high school, probably closer to senior year, who were volunteer firefighters. Some of them went on to become firefighters after graduating. So like, you definitely can do that. I'm not exactly sure because I don't know enough about how volunteer firefighting firefighting works. I don't know if the they were ever in like literally the line of fire in terms of actually having to go into buildings or not. I'm not really sure how that works. But um, I mean, I think that yeah, you you would eventually as a volunteer firefighter be actually fighting fires, but you would have like equipment and training. Right. It wouldn't be like, oh, you've been here for five minutes. Here's a raging inferno across the road. Yeah. So just to kind of like skip through Archie's plot, basically he trains with the boys. Bixby shows up and teaches them some firefighting stuff. It looks like they get a hose somewhere, and so they have that, I guess. <laughs> yes, they have a single hose. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but then uh, a building near Archie's gym in Sketch Alley, I think if they say it's the pool hall, catches on fire, and so they obviously assume that it's arson, and Archie runs in to say, try and save this one guy, and he oh, ends yeah, up there's in the hospital. A, there's like a homeless guy named Earl who comes right. into their training because because he thinks he can stay in the gym because it's been abandoned so long. And they're like, no, we're a fire department and we're going to make this town good. And he leaves with like, well, you know what? We've heard that before, but sure. And then when this fire actually happens, another homeless person says, my buddy Earl is in there. And then Archie runs in to go save him. I do wonder what Earl's referring to when he says that he's heard that before, because my impression was that nobody was really trying to save the town for the last several I years. truly misread it so much. I thought that Earl was, like, definitely a plant from Hiram and that this was all a scheme to, like, put Archie in danger. And then later we find out that Earl's, like, not gonna make it. And it's like, oh, that took a turn. And that he also was an, uh, a vet vet. as well. 
well. So by the end of the episode, the kids are taken off of firefighter duty because they their parents were like, no. Oh, I think the principal also, Weatherby, was like, no. And so Fangs and Kevin volunteer along with the old fire chief. He ends up coming back and Veronica feels the need to gift him with not just a fire truck, but in like an old fashioned style fire truck. Well, and because that's what they have in Riverdale, okay? Come on. This is so, this is so dumb. Anyway, and she's like, it's fine. We're going to have a Firefighters of Riverdale calendar to help cover the cost. So what I do like about this plot, and I kind of already mentioned this when it comes to Archie, is this, it seems backwards, but like as Archie has gotten older, when he left school to go join the army, at first I was like, no, this is so like unrealistic or something. And then I kind of thought about it more and I realized like Archie in the army, based on the way that his life was going and, and just like his internal thought processes of not wanting to be behind in school, not knowing really who he was his father passing away like I can understand why he was why he was led down that path and it seems like with even though he's got a bit of a hero complex in the army which is probably why he's being put on ROTC duty right now he did seem to like excel in that field and I think like for someone like him who is very (laughs) bravery and chivalry kind of focused like I understand that this would be both being a firefighter or being in the army like I've said this before about when people People say, like, what Hogwarts house are they? And they're like, oh, I want to be Gryffindor. And I'm like, having bravery be your number one thing, there are very few outlets that I feel like really go with that. And being in the military, being a firefighter, there's a couple other sort of uh, service style jobs that I think, like, really fit with bravery and, and chivalry and that kind of thing. So I do feel like, Archie, like, this makes sense. This makes so much more sense. This is, like, more grounded. While it's ridiculous to think of, like, guy comes home and just, like, starts a fire department, that makes way more sense than Archie, like, trying to join in the mob with Hiram as a kid in high school or like Archie like I just feel like a lot of the stuff he was doing in high school seemed so much more unrealistic it's so unrealistic for him to start a boxing gym in high school it's more realistic to be like you're a 25 year old who needs a job and you have a hero complex and you have the resources to help out with the fire department so do it that makes more sense yeah it's fine it's still again the bar is underground for Archie okay at least it's realistic all right so semi-related in the beginning beginning. We've got the Veronica Hiram plot line, kind of. I am so sick of Hiram. I don't know why, but in my mind, Hiram wasn't coming back. And now he's back. Now he's here. So Veronica wants, she's going to basically use her economics class to kind of teach a lesson, but also like help herself. So she has her class volunteer to change the video store into a jewelry shop in order to bolster their dying economy. And she is going to create a new currency that can exist just in Riverdale called River Dollars. Honestly, this part, I'm still I'm still flying with her. River Dollars makes sense. They can only be used in the town. Now, the way she described it, I haven't done enough research into this. I, I feel like the way she described it, like, checks out of, like, why this would be legal. If it's something that's only used within the town, like, sure, whatever. Well, and the other thing, too, is that the River Dollars were also backed by real U.S. By real dollars. currency, right. It would make sense, like, like, like that it would be legal. Call it counterfeit later, but I don't think that it is. Like unless people are making fake ones of these. Yeah, and so th- that's the thing is that um the the river dollars are basically a fiat currency. No, they're not a fiat currency. Sorry, they're like the opposite of that. What's a fiat currency? Um, so fiat currency is I got it backwards in my head. Fiat currency is money issued by the government that is not like 
um, backed up by a commodity, um, like gold, like originally with like dollars, you couldn't make more dollars unless you had gold, um, to the value of those dollars or some other commodity. But now, like, money is kind of fake and it's not actually backed up by anything. And so it, it's not fiat currency. I just got the definition backwards in my head for a second there. Right. So this is backed by money. So her, her idea is that she has this $50,000 worth of river dollars and she is going to pay pay her students for performing jobs, and then they can use that money at places like, she lifts off like Pops or Le Bon Nui and like ends it there. That's like, it! I feel like you would also need it to work like at the grocery store or any shops in the town, but I'm assuming that that's implied. No, no, the whole economy of this town is Pops and Le Bon Nui. Right. And by Le Bon Nui it is also the white worm, so. Yeah, and she's gotten like Tabitha to sign off on this and whatever else. And all of this, I'm like, okay, this kind of makes sense. I mean, Riverdale is literally not a real town, so, like, sure, do whatever you want. The part where she lost me is the fact that she puts her face on them. Yeah, um, I didn't like that at all. Like, why is it her face? Why? She is not Riverdale. I mean, put any number of better things that I feel like could make more sense on her face. the Riverdale high, like, the R from, like, the Riverdale Register or, like, Yeah, just, like, have an R or have, like, a milkshake or, like, honestly, anything other than her face, which makes no sense and it's extremely, like, self-serving and weird and makes it seem way more fake. Yeah, so I do love that later on Jughead's gonna say, like, why is Veronica putting her face on a bunch of Monopoly money? I do love that. I really liked, also, this is definitely a little bit later on, but at one point, um, she's talking to Hiram and he's like, wow, Archie's starting a fire department and you're putting your face on money. Like, what does that sound like? And it's, like, his, like, backhanded way of saying they want to be the king and queen of Riverdale. And I laugh really hard. He's really trying to, like, imply lump them together way more than they actually were together in this episode. But, yeah. Yeah, he's sick. Yeah, he really is. So, she says that they need to, like, build the economy slow and steady. And so, she kind of quizzes her students and she's like, should we put a thousand more dollars in or ten thousand? And they're like, ten thousand. And she's like, no, it should be a thousand. And then her students go and they make ten thousand anyways. And, like, that does kind of make sense because um, this money is backed by actual dollars, whereas, like, actual money's not backed up by anything, so inflation's a little bit less of a concern anyways, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, But yeah, it's really weird that she just let the kids make the money. Yeah. Why did she let the kid? I feel like she should have control over this and not be doing that. Like, don't... Anyway. So, she kind of, like, gets in her own mess. There's, like, a red herring where you think that Hiram has, like, pumped in a bunch of money, which she kind of implies that he did also, which is confusing. I... Yeah, and that was, like, um, there's the scene where uh, Veronica catches that the one kid has a lot of ink on his hands and I thought that that was going to refer back to like Hiram has recruited this yeah. child to be part of his scheme but, but then it, it ultimately like it. doesn't seem like Hiram was involved but maybe he was maybe Hiram convinced him to print extra maybe so then the class starts cleaning up the town and like yeah, to, uh, to pay back the, like, $10,000 or whatever. Right, and um, that's when Veronica buys the fire truck for Archie. Uh, yeah, okay, so now we have a plot line here that is Tony, Cheryl, and the River Vixens. I will say up front, like, I'm kind of annoyed that they've already so quickly resorted back to, like, Tony and Cheryl must have plots together, can't do anything separately. Like, thank you for at least elevating Tony, who had quite a bit of interaction in Betty's plot line as well. But, like, sh- they're allowed 
allowed to do separate things. You don't need to just only have them together. Like, no, no, the they are not allowed. They have to be together. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so the town without a fire department somehow has time for cheerleading. Tony is running a practice session and Cheryl slow-mo walks in and there's a lot of stuff. I love when she says, I've been self-isolating. That's definitely like a uh, I, COVID I There's too out. much COVID references in media right now. Like watching Superstore season six and it's literally dur- like in a store during COVID. Like I don't want to watch that on TV. I want to escape from COVID when I'm watching TV. I don't want anything that makes me remember that COVID is a thing when I'm safe at home watching my shows. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's already been in this season of Riverdale that's not directly referring to COVID, but is definitely in place because of COVID, such as all of the times that Veronica has had Zoom meetings with either her husband or there were a couple other people when she was trying to get that job and then talking to uh, the the flight people or whatever. She was like trying to book a flight. Same with earlier in the season when Cheryl had the Zoom meeting with her, the Blossom family. The reason these are Zoom meetings and not, or whatever, virtual meetings of some kind instead of them all being the same place is because due to COVID, they can't like actually have all those actors in the same place. So there's some things like that. Sure, I get it. You notice, you'll notice fewer pets and fewer children. I want escapes. I want escapes from COVID when I'm watching my stories, okay? Yeah. So here is the thing. I feel like this is something that I missed back in season one. I've seen season one like three times and I still don't get it. Okay. Cheryl really, really seems to think that the River Vixens are hers. Like she says it's her birthright here. She says they're hers multiple times in the first season. She talks about how like the River Vixens are hers. Her mom has stolen them away from her. Like, did Cheryl start the cheerleading squad or something? Because if she did, then I will, g- this makes sense. Then I no, get it. Even if she started the team, this doesn't make sense. It has been seven years since you graduated high school. You got to move on, lady. But I think the implication is that the cheerleading squad has like been gone since she left and that Tony's trying to revive it. I don't know. Like, I think for my personal canon, I just have to assume that Cheryl started it, which also makes way more sense of why she was so upset when, uh, whether, or not Weatherby, when Hun- Principal Honey hired that like An coach. actual coach? No, that's still yeah. bullshit. Well, I mean, it would make more sense if she's like, I started this cheerleading squad and now you're trying to like take the job away from me. Um, I mean, I think this is like all kind of ridiculous, but it does like make a little more sense. So I kind of have to just in my mind move forward thinking that she started it. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. So they, Cheryl's like, let's do a dance off. And Tony just standing there. I'm pregnant. Like not going to happen. So some girl whose name we don't even get volunteers Mm -hmm. to dance as her proxy. It's very season one, episode one, except like less interesting because at that point, like Cheryl versus Veronica kind of makes sense. You have Cheryl who who's the established leader, has been there, but everyone's kind of afraid of her and doesn't like her. You have Veronica, who's a new commodity, but, like, she's gonna be in this school and people Mm -hmm. seem to like her. So that makes sense. This makes no sense. There is absolutely no reason why any one of these girls should be rooting for Cheryl in this. They should all be rooting for the person who's already on the team who they... Who they know! Presumably know. Like, why... What do they have with Cheryl? Cheryl, unless Cheryl was way better, but they seemed, like, basically evenly matched, exactly like her and Veronica when they did it. Well, and I really I was very disappointed in the dance-off, to be honest. Like, I just didn't think it yeah. was that good. I didn't really like the song. I didn't really like the the moves all seemed like it was filmed almost exactly the same as the first season, except, like, not as, I don't know, it, like, looked darker it was and just, like, like not and as good. And it was weird. Like, Cheryl just, like, weirdly, like, lifts her leg up just a lot, yeah. just for no reason, just to be like, look, I can do a standing split. Like, shut up, Cheryl. Nobody cares. 
I wish I could do that. I wish I could do a laying down split. Or well, whatever. yeah, but guess what? That it, you you easily can. There are stretches that you could do, and you'd be able to do the splits within like a month. I should really learn that. That would be impressive to myself. Okay. Uh, so Tony is like, "How about we just share the vixens?" And then they do that. There's a, like a weird line here where Cheryl is later gonna say, "I've seen a porcelain doll possessed by my deceased brother move faster than you lot." It's kind of funny because Julian. The doll was never possessed. I know, I know, I know. So Cheryl is like hosting multiple like two-day practices behind Tony's back. They argue. Tony is super right here where she's like, Cheryl, I know you've had a hard life, but a lot of that's been self-inflicted and you're not allowed to just use that to selfishly get whatever you want. Your privilege and your money can be taken elsewhere. You need to like be one of the good guys and trying to help the town, not just doing whatever you want for your own selfish gains. And then Cheryl is like, you are so mean and storms off. Yeah, well, she was also so right. She was very right. And then Cheryl is going to go home where Mrs. Marble is back and says, hey, guess what? You know that portrait of your brother that I, for some reason, bought for a quarter million dollars? It's a forgery. And then she's like, we're going to talk first. So what do you think this talk is about? Do you think Miss Marble is going to be like, I want to get in on the business yeah, of forgery? I, I think she was going to want to get in on it. I think they want us to think that she's going to get caught and get in trouble, but actually they're just going to do a scheme together. Because the way they did it was so stupid that they had her appraise the real thing and then send a fake one. Like, if they had just had her appraise the fake one, maybe she wouldn't have known it was fake. Maybe. I guess that you run the risk of her appraising the fake one knowing it's a fake one, and then you're like, well, that's all I can do here. I don't know. I don't know. So I guess we'll find out more about that. Kind of kind of don't care about Cheryl's plot right now. It just seems like such small fry compared to the rest of it. Now we have another plot, which I also hated, Jughead's plot. By the way, heads up, I hated most most of the plots in this episode. Aliens! I don't... I love, so this, Kate, this plot really reminded me the way that Jughead got so into the concept of the Mothman is, it's just like how Jughead got so into Griffins and Gargoyles. It's like, he's so willing to just get swept up in things. Yeah, because he's like, like very this would on make brand. a great book. I hope this is true because then I can write about it. So he finds some Mothman articles and guess who was there was a witness. It was Pop. Pop Day? Yeah, so Pop is like, 50 years ago, okay, I did love the Pop flashback, though. I did love that. So, pop flashback. 50 years ago, he's working at the diner. There's, like, electricity in the air. Power goes out. Jukebox turns on of its own accord along with, like, a gumball machine and monkey toy. And there's bright lights outside. So, they all go outside and they're like, oh my gosh, aliens. But he says that the other, like, credible explanation was that maybe there's, like, military testing from some kind of military base outside Mm -hmm. Riverdale. I feel like that one little line there, Oh yeah, I feel like that's gonna come back. That's important. That's gonna be a big deal moving forward. That's definitely something that Hiram is also involved in. Especially, too, when you take into account Archie's plotline and all of the talk about how, like, people get, like, thrown away after their military service and how corporations make big decisions. I feel like there's going to be some sort of major corrupt army situation this season. And I think Hiram's involved, and I think that's partially responsible for all the dead bodies. Interchange. The turnpike? Yeah. Whatever. They said turnpike in the episode. Same thing. You're right. Okay. So part of him hopes that the lights would come back, which is a very similar thing to what old man Dreyfus said about like, mm-hmm. I wanted to be taken up too. Uh, Nana Blossom was also there. So I'm kind of confused. I mean, Pop looked young. Like Pop could have easily been like 18 here. Mm-hmm. And so Nana Blossom looked like she could have been maybe 30, but still. So she's only like 15 years older than him. 10, 10, 15. 
15 years older than him? Man. Yeah, I mean, she aged very poorly and he's aged very well, I think is yes. the, what we have to take away from that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Jughead, we see a little bit more of his potential drinking problem that he has. He spent all his Veronica bucks on some alcohol and then later he's doing a night shift and he's also pouring uh, something from a flask into a coffee cup. So there's that. Do you Now, do you think this is real or do you think it's like when FP was a fake alcoholic in season one? I stand by that Al- FP was a fake alcoholic in season one. Yeah, that's what I'm I also stand by that. So do you think it's like that? But see, here's the thing. I think FP was a real alcoholic and then he sobered up, but then he was pretending to be a fake alcoholic in order to keep Jughead away from the Jason Blossom trouble that he was getting in. No, I think Jughead's a real alcoholic at this point. Or I, I don't even know if I'd say alcoholic, but he has he has a drinking problem of some sort at the moment. That is probably due to a combination of his heartbreak from high school and also his money problems. Not and being heartbreak really hard from high school seven years later. Ugh. I think if any one of these people is going to have some kind of lingering feelings with their previous ex, I mean, maybe Veronica too at some point. Like so far, Archie has not really seemed to be interested in Veronica at all and Betty has seen no interest in Jughead, but I don't know. I mean, Jughead wrote a book about Betty like only a couple years ago. So that's still like kind of sticking with me. Eh. Anyway, so Jughead and Tabitha are going to talk with Nana Blossom. By the way, love Tabitha. Love like everything she's given. Yeah, she's great. Giving me. And she's like, oh, it was the Mothman ship. I found a hideously misshapen body in the maple forests and an autopsy was performed and the Mothman came to Thornhill and I talked with them and I told them I had cremated their friend, but really I kept the body preserved in a barrel of maple syrup, which I don't think would preserve anything. No, maple syrup is not. She's like, it's perfectly preserved in a barrel of maple syrup. No, that's not how that works. So then she sends the barrel of maple syrup to Pops where Tabitha and Jughead for some reason open it up and like hang up the alien corpse in the kitchen. What? And then... Thanks, I hate it. Yeah, Jughead like is at Pops at night by himself and the exact same thing happens. Lights all flash. Jukebox turns on. Gumballs falling on the ground. It's 2 a.m. He goes outside, sees a spotlight right above him and then he wakes up in a booth four hours later at 6 a.m. The body's gone. Thoughts? I think we're, they want us to believe it's real aliens, but I think it's the army. I definitely do not think it's aliens. So far, nothing in Riverdale has actually been supernatural, so I don't think that we're going to start here. I do think that he was probably knocked out and or drugged, and how do we explain the body, and how do we explain Nana Blossom thinking that she was talking to Mothman? I don't know. I think that she's been unwell for a long time. What about the body? How do we explain that one? I mean, the body, by the time we saw it, it was literally a skeleton. It easily could have been, I mean, in Riverdale terms, I think it's probably going to be something where, like, the army was trying to create Captain America and some kind of super soldier, and it actually just, like, messed people up. Yeah, some kind of mutation. That's possible. Okay, last plot. Look at us! We're zooming! We are zooming. I'm very proud of us. And we spent, like, 20 minutes on Archie, so. Um, so this plot is the Betty, I'm throwing Kevin in here, but he really wasn't in it that much. She was in it a little bit. Betty, somewhat Kevin, somewhat her mom. It's the Polly is still missing plotline. It was it was snappy, so yeah. So we start the episode, and they're with um Doctor Curdle Jr. and there is a body because they found a body at the end of last episode. Why is Doctor Curdle Jr. still working in Riverdale? No one else is. Well, I mean, you know what they've got in Riverdale? Death, baby. Okay. 
Mm, true. Death. Yeah, so they look at this body, and he's like, we found it in the swamp. It's a woman, but it's... He said the body is three years old, preserved But it was preserved by the, by the swamp. So I'm, like, confused. So they hear a phone ringing, presumably Polly's phone, in the swamp. They find this body, and then they, like, need... Like, shouldn't they recognize whether or not it's Polly? Or is it so decayed that they, like, can't tell? Uh, I... This is where I think that what we're supposed to believe is that the body died because of blunt force trauma, so maybe you couldn't tell what the face was. Okay, maybe, yeah. So, it's an unknown woman. Betty wants to look into the identity, so she finds that the only disappearance from that time was Margaret Harper, who Dr. Curdle says had braces and this dead body doesn't, so it's not Margaret. Although, if it was three years ago, I mean, I guess braces aren't Braces aren't. Off. Braces are not gonna decay off of your teeth, right? Like, your teeth are one of the only things that don't really decay, and so the right. braces on them also wouldn't really decay. That's a good point. So she's like, wait a second. So Polly's gone missing in this swamp. So did Margaret. So did this third woman. This three's a pattern. We got a situation. So she speaks with Margaret's mom, who basically gives a very similar story to what Polly's experience was. Like Margaret fell in with the wrong crowd, was hanging out with the truckers, and Tony, the social worker, had helped out a lot. And Betty's like, oh, Tony, gotta go talk to her. So Alice also finds Polly's phone around this time in the swamp, which is cool. Betty talks with Tony about Margaret Harper, and Tony is like, you can take the serpents, use them at your disposal, feel free to search the swamp. So Betty and Alice and the Kellers and the serpents are gonna go look for Polly when Hiram and Reggie and some other goons show up, and they're like- With a shotgun. Yeah, they're like, you can't stay in the swamp because I'm building a turnpike through here and I own this place, which Betty's like, I'm with the FBI, and finally somebody, which is Hiram, like, questions the authority and was like, I don't think that's gonna cut it. I love how he's like, yeah, the badge you got in a cereal box or Cracker yeah. Jack box. What I don't remember. Yeah, so I don't know who's actually in the right here. I don't know enough about like private property laws, but like if there is an ongoing investigation and m- multiple bodies have been found and like a body went missing in this area, I think it doesn't matter if it's your private property anymore. I, I feel well, like people I think should be allowed to search where it. Hiram gets a leg to stand on is that he does have like the private security company is technically uh, in charge of law enforcement there. And so maybe it's their jurisdiction to search. But again, all of this is fake and bad. But like, if the FBI signed off on this, they would have jurisdiction over that, right? I think so. But also, I'm just, and this is purely based on consuming content such as Criminal Minds. So please don't take me at my word. I'm pretty sure that local enforcement can have some level of control over whether the FBI gets involved or not. Like, I think that they have to ask the FBI. Like, I think I think that yeah. the only time that the FBI can get involved without being invited by local law enforcement is if it's a crime that has definitely taken place in multiple states. But again, I'm not an expert, so I could be wrong. But I think that maybe the FBI would have to technically be invited here. Gotcha. So Betty's going to call Glenn, and he's going to tell her that the TBK has reemerged in Tulsa. And she's like, you handle it. I'm going to handle this stuff in Riverdale. As if she's allowed to go handle TBK. Well, do you think that he was trying to, like, get her to come back? Do you think he was trying to be like, TBK's back? Come Honestly, on, with this. I don't think so. I think that he was trying to just be like, look, we don't have unlimited resources right now and there's, like, a real thing going on. Like, I think he just doesn't believe that her thing is real. Right. Okay. She also definitely is panicking quite a bit hearing about the TBK coming back and that there's already, like, two women who have been attacked. So she goes to the swamp at night where she finds Reggie, who's got a rifle, and Reggie is 
is like, hey, you can't tell Hiram that I told you this, but I did find another body down here. And so they find that other body and it turns out to be Margaret Harper. Um, We also get a scene here of Hiram talking with Reggie and Hiram is like, hey, this is not good. They know about all the bodies in the swamp and we know that Sodale and the Turnpike are both a smokescreen to distract away from the bigger situation here. Mm-hmm. And Reggie's like, well, you can either be the villain or you could be the hero and just like let them search the swamp and then they'll find the bodies and then like everything will be fine. And so they both know that this turnpike is not the real endgame. What is the real endgame then here with them? Oh, as if we're gonna know what the real endgame is? Come on. I mean, it might be this like whatever military testing or like whatever is going on here. I could believe that. Maybe. I also wonder, you know, with your idea of the like basically Captain America stuff, that would kind of make sense if Hiram like was dying and he's like not anymore. Ooh. Or like Oh, like it's something where it was like research for a cure for Hiram, but then it also has possible like a military application. Other stuff, maybe. I don't know. I, I could believe this would be something. They yeah, they take that body to Dr. Curdle, it's Margaret Harper, and they tell her mom, and it's really sad. And so Betty is like, I promise I'm gonna find out who did this to Margaret and the other girls. And she ends up talking with Sheriff Keller and Tony, who both have done like separate research talking to different counties, and they find out that there's 21 missing girls who have disappeared in the last few years off that lonely highway near in the swamp area. And they're like trying to figure out whether it's a serial killer, because you know, can't be Riverdale without a serial killer. Or something else. That's the one thing, too, where it's, like, super realistic that there would be a serial killer using trucking routes. There was research, I think I talked about this last week, there was research done, like, a couple years ago um, that indicates that there is at least one serial killer operating, like, on trucking routes throughout Canada and the U.S. So, that makes sense. I'm pretty sure I said that last week. Are they still at large? Like, they don't know who it is. They just know that, they, like, data indicates that there is at least one. Yikes. Don't like that. I, yeah. Um, I don't yeah, care so- so it's definitely it. possible. And that's the end of the episode. So we kind of talked about like predictions throughout, but I will say like, I think I would hope and I think there's definitely a way they could do this where a lot of these plots are going to be connected together. H- whatever Hiram's doing in the swamp connected with the girls disappearing, connected with potentially the military base thing that's nearby that's doing some sort of testing connected with the Mothman. I think that that's mostly all together. The real question there is like, where did the body come from? But if, if the idea is that this military base is basically trying to trick people into thinking it's aliens and like created a fake body and dropped it somewhere like that would make sense so i think you could connect all these and that's kind of my overall prediction yeah i think there is i think that things are going to be connected and the only thing that i'm still wondering about is does the trash bag killer connect in some way to it as well because that's possible though not necessarily likely Okay, this is going to be probably really not the case. What if Glenn is the trash bag killer? I mean, maybe. Would not be the first time that a serial killer infiltrates the FBI. He's doing it to get Betty's attention? I think he's, I mean, we don't know because we haven't heard, like, if Glenn has an alibi for the two weeks when Betty was kidnapped. Mm. But if he was, like, supposedly looking for her, I don't know. I just think that he's suspicious. I got my eyes on him. Yeah, he looked really creepy in this episode. He really did. And I just, like, don't know what his endgame is, but I could definitely believe that he's the serial killer. So, we'll circle back to that. In which case, the FBI really needs to, like, look into who they're hiring. So, a couple things. Title this episode, Fire in the Sky, was a 1993 movie that is set in 1975 where a group of five men are driving home after work in a forest when they see a mysterious light. Intrigued, one of the men leave their truck only to be 
sucked up by a flying saucer. The other four men report the strange event, but are skeptically interrogated by a lieutenant who suspects that the murder is behind, who suspects that murder is behind the disappearance of the first man. Wow. And then the first man reappears five days later, and his story of alien abduction is met with disbelief. So. Okay. Well, I guess that, that kind of fits. is the story. Yep, definitely got some alien abduction stuff. Who do we think is the most normal person? I think the most normal person mm, could be Tony. She was helpful to Betty in looking up the disappearance, and she really put Cheryl in her place. I think it's a little bit unrealistic that she's spending so much time starting the River Vixens, but then again, Archie's starting a football team, so it is a school. You need some normalcy. I actually agree with Tony for that, because I think she like she also really called out Cheryl in like a very normal way. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you look at everyone else, like Betty was relatively normal, except that she still is doing a little bit of like, I'm in the FBI, even though I'm literally not done with training and I'm staying home working on this and I don't have any permission. That's the one that like gets me on her. Obviously, it's not Reggie or Hiram. I think Archie running into a burning building, not super normal. Uh, Veronica printing her face on money. Nope. No. Cheryl, everything. No. Nope. So... Remember yeah. when Reggie was, like, the most normal person for so many episodes? He really was. He had a good stretch. He had a good stretch. Not the case I miss anymore. that, Reggie. I do, too. Reggie got it for episode two of the entire thing and episode seven. This is OG Reggie. So he got it twice in season one. He got it season three, couple times. I think I pushed for him a lot more than I actually was able to get him also. Yeah, but he was in the, he was in the discussion for sure. We have a new character, Bernardo Bixby, who we said is a recurring character from Katie Keene and now a guest star on Riverdale, portrayed by Ryan Fawcett. He's a firefighter at Engine 141 in New York City, which made me think of Truck 108, which is a deep cut that very few people will understand, but that's fine. And we have a close but no cigar. What? Yep. Which was when Hiram said that Betty got her badge out of a box of Jacker Cracks. I really didn't even catch that he didn't say Cracker Jacks. He said Jacker Crack. And uh, that is not cereal, but it is popcorn. It's like pre-popped yeah. uh, caramel corn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what it is. I just couldn't remember if he had said cereal box or Cracker Jack. Yeah, Cracker Jacks. Um, well, he said Jacker Crack, but yeah. <laughs> so that's not even clever because you just like switch the two words around. Like, I prefer senior refreshers. That's funny. That's like they're trying to be a little clever. At least Ned's List is like a different name, but like Jacker Cracks. Ugh. Anyway, so we have a couple comments from our listeners. I put the call out in a little bit late, but hey, if you want to send us feedback, you got to be ready when the time comes, okay? Yeah, we usually record Friday evenings or sometimes Saturday is usually when it is, mm -hmm. but does fluctuate occasionally. So let's see. Tom Palmer says, welcome to the city of Riverdale where street gang drug dealers are the fire department and the money is printed out by high school students, which was a pretty clever bit by him. Um, Kyle Picard says, not sure if this was solved yet, but isn't, Tone, isn't Tom married to Mayor McCoy? Are we just pretending that never happened? Yeah, I think we're pretending so that never I happened think... or they got a divorce off screen. 
I think that this must be something that was addressed in Katie Keene and I just like don't remember or like it happened after I stopped watching. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Because Katie Keene happened two years before this time jump. Yeah, so maybe someone who has watched Katie Keene can let us know. Uh, Zev says, there was no mayor pre-lodge. There was no Riverdale at all. Only Mothman <laughs> before Honestly, Hiram Lodge. okay. Let me check the other account real quick. Gregory McBean says, are we really going to just let children fight fires? Yep, that's what we're doing. Oh, what is going on? Hold on. I have to answer a CAPTCHA. Not a CAPTCHA? Why? <sighs> I don't know. It's like, doesn't think that my Twitter is a real Twitter. Okay, sorry. Back to this. Yes, we are going to let children fight fires because there's literally no one else to do it. And Archie's, even Archie's friend said no. Uh, Jacker cracks for a close but no cigar. Got it. Thank you very much. Is Archie known for saying you suck? This one really, like, jumped out at me too because at one point, Veronica's on the phone with her dad and her dad's, like, being all mean and she's like, as Archie would say, you suck. When did Archie ever say that? Did Archie say that to Hiram, like, in a notable fashion? I have I, no memory of I, this. I wish I could answer that question, but I have no recollection. Yeah, I don't I don't know, but that did make me laugh. And then Greg also says, anyone else think of Sarge from Vanuatu every time Archie gets called Sarge? No, not but I probably that, will now. I probably will start thinking of that now. I didn't before. Sargey Archie. Thanks. No. Was that you who said, like, that's why they made yes. him a Sarge, just so they could do oh, I said that on this podcast, baby. That's what I thought. Ugh. And then Tom Palmer also says, did you two ever see the South Park episode where they were making fun of Family Guy by claiming their writers were manatees who just randomly selected balls for plots, jokes? I don't know why, but this Riverdale episode reminded me of that. N- no, I did not see that. I didn't see that, but yeah, uh, that checks out. Anyway. I think that that's rude to manatees to say that they would have done this. It does seem like it was just randomly selected. Maybe ping pong balls from a fishbowl. Maybe that's how they selected Maybe this I think one. there are a few ping pong balls short of a fishbowl, if you know I what I'm so. saying. <laughs> I do. I do know what you're saying. All right, everyone. That's all for this week's episode. Look at us getting this right in under an hour. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week for episode eight, unless they take an impromptu yachtist, but I don't think they are. Until then, you can follow me online at Frail Mary on every platform, and you can follow Kirsten McKinnis at Kirsten Said What on every platform. All over the place. You can find both of us at those locations on Twitch, Twitch Streaming, Up a Storm. You can find Kirsten on Bojack Horse Pod and on the Temptation Island Rob's Podcast. Nope. Is it Reality TV Recaps? Yeah, Reality TV Wrap Ups. Reality TV Wrap Ups uh, channel from Rob Has a Podcast. And you can find both of us doing Big Brother Canada 9 updates on Rob's Podcast. Yeah, I'm on the uh, I'm on the recap next Thursday. Ooh, good spot to be. Thursday <laughs> recap. Fun times. Fun times. I will be on the Sunday morning update, which will probably come out before this podcast. So, yep. so go back and listen to <laughs> so it. Go the back house and listen to has it. been wild. It's been wild. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Bye.